0: Andy Earl. Today we are here talking with Judy Arnall, who is the author of four books on parenting. Judy is a distinguished Toastmaster interactive keynote speaker. She is the mother of five children. She specializes in child development and non-punitive parenting and education practices that enhance family relationships. She's got a really cool method of connecting with your kids and helping them solve their problems rather than punishing them for when they're acting out. So really interested to talk to her about how she developed these methods and specifically how they apply to teenagers. So thank you so much for making the time to be here today. Really, really excited to talk about all this with you, Judy.
1: Thank you for having me, Andrew.
0: I read two of your books here, Parenting with Patience and Discipline Without Distress. I'm getting deep into your methods here and really liking what I found. So, okay. I thought it would be kind of cool to start out with like a little bit of your story and kind of how you got started in this whole parenting thing. I mean, you've now written how many books? Uh, it's It's like a ton of books at this point. It's hard to keep track and have kind of built this whole empire with these workshops and webinars that you do. What kind of kicked it off?
1: Okay. Well, thank you first for having this interview. How I first got into parenting was I grew up with a few, what we call ACEs, so Adverse Childhood Experiences. Okay. So when I had my first child, I didn't really have any good models on which to learn parenting. So I decided to read a lot of books, attended a lot of courses. And I had it all figured out, and then by the time my second son came along, as you know, all kids are different, and what was working for first child didn't work for second Mm -hmm. child. So I um, tried other tips and tricks, and by the time I had five kids, I had a whole variety of temperament, personalities, but I found out that non-punitive parenting worked for every child, no matter what their personality background. So then I raised five teenagers, my youngest right now is 17. And I have never punished them, (laughs) never taken their phone away, never taken the door off the room. And uh, we have a really great relationship. And I thought I got to write a book on this because
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: there are other parents out there. A lot of my friends' parents too, raise their kids with no punishment and their kids mm. turned out fine. And there's this myth out there that teens naturally rebel. The teen years are really hard and it's not yeah. true. If, if you build a good, non-punitive, respectful, caring relationship with kids, you're going to reap the benefits in the teen years. And that's why I've written four books.
0: (laughs) Oh, so four. Okay. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. You mentioned that in uh, one of your books that you, it was like when your first two kids were kind of like around like nine years old or something like that, you then kind of had this epiphany moment of realizing that punishments don't work and that you didn't want to, you know, ever punish your kids again. And then your younger kids like were completely raised without ever having any kind of punishments at all. So what was the kind of epiphany moment that propelled you into realizing that?
1: Well, in a lot of the books I read, there's very few books that advocate non-punishment. So a lot of books say, oh, we do positive parenting. And then they tell you how to do timeouts sure. and how to issue consequences. Yeah, And yeah. like a lot of parents, I was confused and I thought, oh, consequences are okay you know that's positive discipline but they're not and the epiphany moment was when my child was eight and I issued a consequence and he said mom it's you imposing it on me I'm not choosing the consequence and Mm. I also realized that it impacted our communication because he felt really disrespected He felt that I was being too hard and he wasn't having input into problem solving. So, so then at that moment I decided I'm giving everything up, um, (laughs) timeouts, consequences. I'm going to treat my kids like I treat my partner and, um, we're just going to problem solve everything. And the funny thing is, is that it works really well. I, if people trust the process, kids love the process. And it does work.
0: Sure. Okay, so you talk about problem solve everything, but then it's a little more complicated than that because as you kind of have in in this book, parenting with patience, kind of like a three step method, and you start out with kind of like taking a time out from whatever is going on, and and kind of like that's the period where you sort of kind of calm down, I think, and then you take like a time in where you really kind of like connect and uh you know active listen or empathize, I think, with kind of what is going on with the the kid, and then you have the problem solve is more like step three from the way. I I read this, where then that's when you kind of like do collaborative problem solving with the kid and figure out like what the solution is going to be.
1: That's right. Yeah. I think in all kinds of families, feeling angry is normal. It's normal for kids. It's normal for parents. And if there's one tip I can tell parents in looking back over my 27 years of parenting, it's that we... Have the executive function skills. We need to get a grip of our anger first.
0: The kid is not going to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can't expect kids to do it. Somebody has to be calm. So um, (laughs) take take time out. Take a half an hour. Take 20 minutes to just calm Mm. down before you say or do anything. Put the kids in a safe place if they're little. If they're older kids, just tell them you're going to take a time out for yourself and calm down and come back and deal with us. Yeah. And then everybody's calm. You can put your heads together and fix things together. Now for little kids, after the parents calm, which is step one, step two is you kind of have to help them calm down because they Uh, don't have that self-control ability yet to self-regulate and they need an adult's help. So... Get yourself calm, get your child calm, solve the problem. It's easy three steps.
0: It's funny that you jump right to talking about anger because that's what I noticed was really a theme in a lot of the book. And I think you're so right. It's like, you know, what what parents have problems with is like discipline, but... Step one is like getting control of your own anger because the discipline is related to a lot of times is punitive. Is like, you know, you are mad at the kid and you want to kind of punish them or get back at them a little bit. Like our, when we're angry and our amygdala is going crazy, like it's really hard to, you know, think rationally and sit there and like come to a rational Agreement with the kid. And I noticed that so much of your book was about managing your own anger as a parent and then helping your kid to manage and deal with their anger and helping them to learn strategies for how to communicate about it using these I statements. But I wonder if you could talk just a little bit, you know, more deeply about as a parent, what do you do in that situation to start getting control of your anger?
1: For a parent, I think getting control is at first accepting that you are angry, that you feel angry and that's okay. Mm. Um, feelings are okay. We have limits on behavior. So, ah. so I list about 70 ways to neutralize your anger in the moment, which is the next step. Okay. And one of, one of my favorites right now is to go in the bathroom and yell in the toilet and flush it.
0: <laughs> and, right.
1: And that way, I'm not yelling at my child. I am feeling my anger, but I am dealing with it in a way that doesn't scare anyone. Mm. (laughs) And I get a very clean toilet, too. (laughs) And then sometimes I just need time to get away and think about what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. And then I can come back to the person and resolve it. So, for example, if my son just swore at me, I would um, walk away. And get a grip of my anger, formulate what I'm going to say, come back, and use my I statement. I would say, I'm upset that I get sweared at because it doesn't feel respectful. And then resolve it with them. But Mm. anger is normal. Every parent feels anger. Yeah. And I think our first instinct is we want to hurt back. And that's when we say, you're grounded for the next 30 years. Right, right. And then we're never going to follow through on it because when we're not angry anymore. we feel
0: bad. Yeah, right.
1: Right? We look like we don't have any integrity. Yeah, we're
0: (laughs) not consistent with ourselves anymore. Right. Totally.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, So it's like, yeah, the solution is not to have made the threat that you don't want to keep in the first place, which means that we really need to uh, get good at this you know, anger management strategies. I like that you start out with accepting it because I think a lot of times we feel like we shouldn't be feeling that way. And and that just makes it impossible to deal with it if you're not accepting it. But a lot of times we try to like tell ourselves like, I'm oh, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not mad. Like, but um, I don't know. It's not really productive, right?
1: No, it's okay to say I'm angry. I'm feeling really angry right now. Yeah. And we own it, right? When we say I'm angry, we own it. And then it's up to us.
0: I'm not angry. Like, I'm not. I'm not mad. No, it's okay. Like I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I feel like that's like that instinct a lot of times, though. For some reason, you know, is like to just like uh, try and think if we just like don't talk about it. Yeah, it'll just kind of go away. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of like sections in in both of your books that that specifically talk about teenagers, which I thought was so cool. And one of them is about how, you know, kind of the teenage version of anger a lot of times is attitude. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes. um, Anger in little kids tend to come out in different ways than teenagers. And anger in teenagers can be silence. Uh, Ah. It can be... Behaviors like door slamming or backpack throwing yeah, yeah. <laughs> or attitude, snarkiness. And I think it's important for parents to just again take a time out, sit and think about giving the teen some space. A lot of times mm. it's not about us. Maybe it's something that's happened at school, something that's happened with her friends, mm. something online that's maybe they've they've been trumped in a video game and they're angry about that and then we come and say hey how come you didn't take out the garbage (laughs) and now they're doubly angry (laughs) and of course we're handy targets right Right. because we love them and they know that so first of all just don't take it personally give them some space to calm down by the teenagehood they shouldn't be hitting or throwing things anymore Although I have had teens that you know have pushed down their chair after a a bad video game, uh, right. but give them some space. For example, my kids will get when they're mad, they will stomp up to their rooms, close the door loudly, and <laughs> have a good cry or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And and I need to give them some space. You have to respect that. But sure. they also want you to come up and talk to them. They do.
0: Right.
1: Anyone who's angry wants people to notice and they want people to care
0: well especially if like that's why you're making noise like uh up there and kind of like (laughs) shutting the door noisily to like (laughs) you know remind that i'm up here and like please come up and like yeah
1: hey i'm angry (laughs) yeah yeah, right right and they they don't want parents to come up and lecture them they want parents to come up and say
0: Mm.
1: hey I know you're angry. What's going on? Yeah. And listen.
0: So when you hear the attitude, that kind of is such a trigger, I think, for parents a lot of times. And so I see with this method, it's like, I guess, yeah, recognizing that it pisses you off and then finding a more healthy way to to deal with your reaction to it so that you can then recognize that that attitude of your teenager probably means that there's something else going on with them. Mm-hmm. that maybe they need your help a little bit to deal with it
1: yes attitude is definitely um they're not happy about something but they can't really say it in a respectful way uh, that you know adults learn to say yeah, it. yeah
0: they don't have those tools yet or or those skills <laughs> right, You know,
1: right they're learning the language and they learn the language from you so when we use our i statements that's a respectful way to let someone know you're unhappy about something. Mm. They need to learn that language, so rather than saying, "You always make me do chores or or you're the worst parent right, right. They need to say, "I'm unhappy because I have a full schedule, and I feel chores are being laid on me. yeah right. so we need to teach them the respectful language and not get angry at their practicing. <laughs> <laughs> how it comes out in snarking. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. The thing is, you write about this in these books, like, oh, yeah, how, you know, kids need to learn these skills. And I'm like, wow, a lot of adults I know need to learn these skills of kind of being able to communicate your needs, you know, and be assertive about your needs in a a nice way to people, you know, in a way that like is respectful and maintains the relationship. I think it's a skill that everybody needs, not just teenagers, but especially, you know, they're kind of really getting these these skills of kind of relationships during that time in life. So it's like just, I think something that's like so important. So I felt like I learned a lot about uh, how I should communicate with people in my life from reading this uh, section on I statements here, collaborative problem solving, could you just walk us through a little bit, like, how that worked? You kind of mentioned an example of it earlier, but how how do you do that and kind of, like, come up with the right, you know, formula for those those I statements?
1: Okay. So an I statement, generally a confrontive one, is usually three parts, and it conveys a feeling, a um, description of what the behavior is, and the effect on a person. Yeah. So when I say to my teenager... I'm feeling annoyed because Uh, I would like to make dinner, but there are dishes all over the counter that are not put away yet. So hmm. my teenager then knows how I'm feeling. So they either do it (laughs) or not. (laughs) So if they don't do it, then, um, then we go into problem solving. And if you don't punish kids, teens especially, They're willing to problem solve with you because they have some skin in the game. Yeah. Right? So then we go into problem solving mode. Let's say that they can't do it right now. They're in the middle of a game. So I look at their needs. Their needs is they've committed to a game for the next 20 minutes. Right. But my needs are I need to make dinner and I need a clean counter. So then we brainstorm together some options really quickly, just standing up quickly, brainstorming. Right. And then we figure out which one works for both of us and we do it. It's, it's very simple, yeah. but you're right. It gives them skills for future relationships when they have problems with their bosses, their friends, their future mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> These are all good people skills.
0: Because you have even like an example in your book where, you know, if two kids are in a conflict. You like sit them down, you know, first you calm, do the calming, and then uh, sitting them down and like figuring out what the situation is between them and then kind of like giving them each the words to like use an I statement to communicate to the other one what they're mm-hmm. feeling. In that situation, like with the teenager with the dishes out on the counter and you're going up and then the video game, like, would you then like give the teenager the words to then communicate okay so could you tell me that you know you're in the middle of a video game and you're feeling you know or would you elicit that information and then deal with the situation or like is younger ages the ages for actually giving them the words and by the time it's a teenager you do it more like just in a collaborative way or uh, would you like continue to do that in the teenage years the way you did in that story in the book
1: do both actually. I mean, if you're raising kids with I statements, you teach them as young as two. Wow. Um, and then you keep going. But you can start at any time. Like we do classes for parents of, of teens, and over a month when the parents are starting to use I statements, and they teach the teens how to use the words. Yeah. And they can get it at any time. Absolutely. But it helps when it becomes their native language and you start earlier. But There's no no perfect time to do it. But yes, you have to teach kids the language, the words, especially the I part, not the you part. Because when you say, you make me feel, it puts the other person on the defensive and you you don't get very far. But if you say, I feel this way, no one can argue with that. That's how you feel. You own it. (laughs) Right? So... Maybe sit down, everyone down on a Sunday afternoon and have a training session. You know, you can teach everyone in the family how to use I statements and be more respectful to each other.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And I like it. Yeah, making it about yourself, too. Like, I want to get good at this. So I feel like it's something we all could work on. Because it just seems like such a valuable skill if everyone in your family is able to communicate their needs to each other and what they're feeling. We're not, you know, mind readers, right?
1: Exactly. We're not mind readers. And I think the more people tell each other, we we also do preventative eye statements and positive eye statements too. But the more um, we talk to each other, the more we can resolve things respectfully.
0: Yeah, you kind of point out that parents have to be kind of like detectives, you know, trying to kind of figure out what a lot of times that the kid is trying to get some need met and there's there's an underlying need behind the behavior and they're just like, don't know the right way to do it yet. And so mm-hmm. they just need a little help maybe, huh?
1: I think teens also need help in wondering what to do when they deliver an nice statement, for example, to a teacher. Mm right? And the teacher doesn't handle it very well. And then we can teach kids how to active listen back to that teacher's resistance. And that's a really good relationship skill. It's very hard to do, but it is so helpful in, in their way to to get along with, you know, authority figures and other people in their lives.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's like that getting to the point where they'll like talk to you about those kinds of things and let you help them with those kinds of situations is I think what you accomplish with not punishing them for everything because you talk about how when you stop punishing them, it seems like there's this kind of double thing going on where parents want their kids to be able to talk to them about everything, but then the kid just knows that if they tell their parents certain things, they're going to get punished. So when you stop punishing them, it seems like it just like freeze them up to feel more like you're on their side and like that they could just talk to you about anything it's really cool
1: it's such a paradox parents think oh i want to talk to my teens why doesn't my teen open up to me and my first question is well (laughs) do you punish them (laughs) because it's a simple psychological fact that if you know people don't feel safe they don't open up to those people (laughs) Right. right and and parents are no different you you don't get a you know a free communication card just cuz you're a parent relationships are relationships and you build those the trust and the respect by not hurting other people yeah. and it it's a hard concept for parents to get but it's it's so true kids will come to parents with any problem they have any concern if they know that their parents are on their side yeah. and will be there Advocate and their help for fixing things.
0: We're here with best selling parenting expert Judy Arnall talking about her best secrets for handling difficult teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show.
1: You know, from 13 to 18, they're in the last third of parenting. And what parents need to do is really let go let go be less authoritarian um less authoritative your role there is mostly coach or mentor a lot of teens and other people too everybody needs just validation of how they feel yeah I think video games are wonderful. They have not been detrimental to my five kids. When they had to do things like go to university, get up for a job, they do them. But I think kids that have low ACEs, low adverse childhood experiences, do not become addicted to video games, no matter how much time they spend on them. If kids have input... Yeah. if they have the ability to speak up and say this isn't working for me then they're not going to rebel ah. a lot of times it's not about behavior it's about what's happening underneath if you address the feelings if you meet the needs the behavior is going to
0: take care of itself right. want to hear the full interview sign up for a subscription today You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.